people will be able to press fast forward on the development of products really, really significantly. We'll be able to come to market with, with viable solutions really fast. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Studio Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Allen, and today we're going to take a look at some of the emerging trends coming down the pike for business owners and entrepreneurs in the coming year. Joining me for this discussion is Executive Vice President of Product, Technology, and Enablement for Heartland, Adam Mitchell. In this episode, Adam and I are going to share insights on how business owners can adapt to the rapidly evolving role of technology, to strategic decisions in everyday operations, and the customer experience. We're going to share a few cautions and considerations regarding the future of AI and help you get moving in the right direction for 2024. Thank you for listening. This is the Entrepreneur Studio Podcast, helping you to run and grow a better business. All right. Hey, Adam Mitchell, welcome to the hot seat in the Entrepreneur Studio. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, absolutely. If there's anybody that I wanted to talk to about emerging trends and what's likely to happen in not only our space, but in the space that entrepreneurs are experiencing in their business, things that they are going to have to look at. Some of these topics I think are pretty meaty. Some of them are just now showing up as emerging trends. But what, what I wanted to do is just kind of bring you in and ask you some questions and some things that we're all seeing and give you give you a chance to kind of share your point of view with everybody about how you're looking at the future. All right. You know, Adam, inflation is cooling. Consumer spending has been steady. Oil prices are up, but not by much. And some industry experts say that we've dodged a recession. Others disagree, claiming it's really only a matter of time. What do you think? And how should small business owners get prepared? It's a big, meaty, difficult question. You're going to have to answer it too. I'm down um, with that. So, yeah, I think in, certainly inflation is cooling, but inflation is a, a cumulative year over year measurement, right? And it's still much higher than it has been for uh, decades at this point, right? So, CPI, which is like a. Have you ever actually heard how they measure inflation? Only from you. Okay. Well, in case anybody doesn't know, at least when I went to school, this is how they did it. They, they literally have people that go out to different establishments and they put the same items into a basket and they go purchase them and they quantify the variance in the price of that basket of goods to a year before. So, you know, Baltimore, Maryland and Portland, Oregon, the same basket of goods as I understand it. They take the variance of Baltimore, Maryland a year before this year, Portland a year before this year. They average all those together and you get your CPI, your, your, your inflation number. Core inflation excludes some really important things like food and energy and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a little, a little less relevant, but it spiked, right? It spiked in 2022, about a year ago at 9%. And I think it's down to about 4% now. We're recording at the beginning of, of November. Uh, but that's 4% on top of the 9% a year before, mm-hmm. and it was elevated even a little bit the year before that. So we have burdened ourselves really heavily with inflation mm-hmm. uh, the last few years. And if it didn't feel really painful a year ago, 4% on top of that 9%, uh, people are, I think, really, really starting to feel it at this point. And it's showing up, right? So mortgage, student loans, auto debt, credit card debt, it's all at all-time highs in the U.S. 
And yet, the consumer is still strong. People are still spending money, which probably is a reflection of folks putting some money away when they had an opportunity mm-hmm. a few years ago. I think the, a real question is, is like, when is that going to get tapped out? Yeah, you know, and what happens then? I'd be lying if I had any clear idea as to what's going to happen. I think we've already uh, we're already kind of in a in an arena that we've never been before. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to imagine us totally skirting real, real pain beyond inflation, which has already been, I think, painful enough for many. Yeah, for sure. Over the next eighteen or twenty-four months, but you know, I'd be curious your thought too. Like the American economy is pretty resilient. Yeah. You look at COVID, for instance, right? Everything changed. You know, restaurants had to figure out curbside and online ordering. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. I had maybe used DoorDash and Uber Eats five times prior to yeah. March of 2020, right? That's a probably almost weekly occurrence is getting some food delivered to the house now. Same thing with groceries. That was a foreign concept to me before, yeah. before COVID. Uh, supply chains got completely disrupted and, I, and hopefully hardened as a result of that process. The, the American economy is super resilient. It's like capitalism at work. So if we do experience uh, you know, a downturn, I am hopeful, I'm bullish that we'll be able to morph and, and uh, adjust and, and rise to the occasion and hopefully pull ourselves out of it uh, somewhat quickly. But there are a lot of headwinds right now. There, there really are. As small business or entrepreneurs, being able to adapt is a really big one. You, it, COVID was a, is a really good example of being resilient and have to, having to adapt. And if you think about it, if it's like 21 days as a human, 21 days to break a habit or form a new one and it's 90 days of something to create a lifestyle, right? Okay. To, to shift a lifestyle, not just to have it. And so if you think about it, COVID lasted for so long, right? Right. That it really did create a lifestyle change. You're yeah. like, okay, DoorDash is now a part of my lifestyle. Life. Yeah. And so one of the things that I think is really important is as we get these shifts, inflation isn't a flash in the pan, right? It, it These are lifestyle changes that happen. And in in my mind, what what small business entrepreneurs need to do, which is there's, there's millions upon millions of these companies, they have to be receptive and adaptive and getting prepared has a lot to do with, okay, what technology do I need in my business that can help me make certain moves? And then also what are of, of some of my options? Start to explore other options, thinking about things that might happen and the moves you would make if those things happened. So like if, for example, Thinking, who thought of no one will be able to come into my business as a brick and mortar? I think it's worth thinking about some of those things. So you go, what would we do if no one could come to our business? Kind of being prepared for, you can't be prepared for most black swan events, but uh, at this point it would behoove you to have a plan if some things that have played out the last few years came came to fruition again, what would you do? And, And fortunately, we pressed fast forward on a lot of innovation with COVID, mm-hmm. you know, and there are great tools out there to be able to empower your customers with a better digital experience. I'd be curious, I don't know, but I'd be curious. We obviously had some e-commerce highs, I would assume in mm-hmm. 2021, 2022, and that's, that's probably come back down a little bit more closer to reality in 2023. But I'm going to guess that the the digital presence of most businesses is still dramatically higher and more important than it was in 2019. Yeah, and that that trend is probably going to continue to uh, 
to evolve. The other thing I would say is like, this doesn't sound particularly like customer centric, but don't feel like you need to, to burden yourself with the full weight of inflation just because you don't want to pass on some of that expense to your customers. I think most people at this point recognize that the, the price of goods and services, of inputs, of supplies has gone up for everybody. Yeah. I think we're all aware of that and understanding that you know, the coffee across the street is 10, 15% more than it was yeah. 18 months ago. And I have, I have complete understanding, and I think most people do, as to why, why folks are raising rates. And my hunch is, is because the consumer is still strong, that if you haven't truly looked into the, the price sensitivity of your goods and services, that you're leaving some important revenue on the table that your customers would be willing to, to digest. Um, and that might not be true for everybody, but it, I think it would certainly be worthwhile testing that. And it'll start showing up in wage expectations too. And so you got to be, totally. you got to be prepared. Well, we're talking about technology, you know, companies really have embraced technology to really cut costs, like automating manual processes. What role in your mind, does technology play in helping small businesses streamline operations and cut costs during economic challenges? Well, uh, I think you could uh, you could ask that question without um, the consideration of of economic challenges. With economic challenges, it just gets exacerbated a little bit, right? My opinion is that time is money. I'm not actually somebody, despite my role, that is a proponent of technology just for the sake of technology. Sure, I like software, I like little hardware, but if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. And look, if you're really efficient and effective at running your business you know, manually or in spreadsheets or on a notepad or whatever, I'm not gonna be somebody that tries to tell you to do something differently. But what I would urge you to do is to quantify that time. Time mm-hmm. is money, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not just a one-to-one like, oh, my time is worth this, I'm spending this many of hours, and thus I'm spending this much of my you know, my worth, if you will, yep. on this task. You got to also account for the anxiety or the stress or, you know, whatever the internal personal thing it is that you've got that's wrapped up in that. Because most people, it's not something, a lot of that administrative stuff, especially, it's not stuff that they really look forward to. So if you can quantify like, hey, what would it, what would it, what would I pay to have this be done or automated and to relieve myself of the stress or anxiety? then you can get a pretty good feeling for what your budget would look like to to employ some technology that can help solve those solutions. And if that equation pencils out for you, heck yeah, get after it. Go go look for for tools to help automate. You know, find a find a good integration with your food distributor so yeah. that, you know, you always have the burger patties in stock um, when you're when you're starting to run low, mm-hmm. you know, or Whatever it might be, there are there are tons of great tools out there that can reduce the especially administrative burden on small businesses without breaking the bank. Yeah, there's an offensive way of thinking about it. There's also you know potentially a defensive way. I mean, if you think about things like reconciling, like if you don't have integrated payments, right? You're sitting here having sales occur on a device or a calculator, and you have these separate credit card transactions and trying to reconcile those is a manual process. And some people just like, they don't care, but think about it like this. The defense there is that if you have them automatically reconciling, right, it's really easy for your bookkeeper or yourself to kind of thread those out and really kind of see what's going on in your business, but also to not miss certain payments. Like if you think about it, hand keyed entries things, 
what I say is like you, you at least need to account for 10% errors. Error, right. And that's also another thing to think about is like when it's not just the, the opportunity cost of, hey, you're spending these, this time doing these things and having to pay for your time. It's also there are very real costs walking out the door. You know, things like uh, shrinkage in retail uh, where, you know, the kind of the underneath the cart of any retail, you know, like grocery store, that's the you know best way to steal anything is because oh I forgot yeah. to ring it up. Those are very real costs, and I think that you know there are there are ways to uh, sort of over engineer technology and make it hard for customers. And there are also some table stakes things that can really you know that can save you uh, the actual costs. That's a little bit more of a defensive play with technology. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Oftentimes, those tools require a lot of energy up front to get sorted, and. Um, you know, I think when doing that or when considering, oh man, I'm going to have to carve out four hours on Saturday to, uh, to get that whatever it is integrated or stood up or whatever, just consider that 10% that you won't be off. Uh, maybe it's 2%, you know, and yeah. uh, 8% can add up month over month um, in a pretty big way. So yeah, just, just being considerate of the time and energy that you're putting forth to address issues or to solve or, or realizing risks, as you mentioned. I think those would be important aspects to consider when um, you know weighing whether or not to introduce some new technology. Yeah, well, you know, we were talking about payments, and you know, how can maybe a small business ride the wave of changing customer payment preferences, right? Emerging of things like digital wallets, particularly when it comes to customers' increased use in digital and mobile wallets, contactless payments, and you know, some of these other these other ways to pay. Yeah, again, this is hitting on a lot of the stuff that got pulled forward in uh, in COVID. And th- there are, Gen Z knows pretty much nothing but this, right? Many of them started making money uh, for the first time ever uh, in the last few years. And if, if you're a business, like really tactically speaking, that doesn't have a terminal that can accept tap to pay, for instance, or, mm-hmm. you know, a- allow somebody to pay with a digital wallet with their phone, you're decreasing the likelihood of, uh, of a young patron from returning. Mm-hmm. That experience, that ease of use means a lot to young people. In terms of you know, finding efficiency, again, something that's got, that, that Europe has had for 25 years, but we're, we're really just starting to introduce here in the States, is a mobile point of sale. And that's not just for a restaurant, but also for retail. Think about how much more efficient and timely it is for a waiter to bring a terminal to the table mm-hmm. and allow a customer to pay for their service right there at the table to get up, the busboy gets in and you've turned the table over uh, with you know uh, maybe saving five minutes, maybe more if the point of sale is busy and the, the waiter can't quickly uh, tab out the customer. And over the course of a night, you may get five, 10% more tables available for customers to sit in and, and, and for you to make money. There's big efficiency to be gained there. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing goes with, with line busting. On the retail side, if you've got an end of season sale and you've got a big line or you've got a tent sale out in the, uh, out in the parking lot, instead of making every patron walk in and check out inside, being able to have a mobile point of sale, it's a, that's a big deal. It's, and it's not just an efficiency gain, it's, it's an enhanced experience for, for your customer. So I think that's uh, that's an important thing. I think being considerate of the importance of social media and your ability to attract and retain uh, customers through social media is is really important. Having a 
at least a simple e-commerce site, even mm-hmm. for brand new brick and mortars, is really important. That's one thing that we're excited about introducing at Heartland is in the coming months, we're going to offer what we refer to as Heartland Retail Online, which mm-hmm. is a free, very simple e-commerce site that ties out with your inventory. And uh, you know, most businesses, when they're getting up and going, especially on the retail side, they don't need a big e-commerce suite with all of those tools. In fact, it's it's kind of counterproductive because it's difficult to get stood up. Yeah. So just having something that ties out with the inventory that you're maintaining in your point of sale and being able to uh, to, to backlink and promote that stuff on social media, that's that's a phenomenal way to garner garner and retain interest in, uh, in customers. Yeah, I think there's payment acceptance, which I think really matters. And I think speed is becoming really, really important. If you think about split decisions, asking people questions that are easy to say yes to, or right, let's say you're trying to, you have your shop online and you want to have Apple Pay, that takes way less time. Everything's already set up. It's a swipe and done. And people, you will get more transactions because it's like, it was fast. It was easy. And some people, you know, buyer's remorse is a thing, but you know, I I think at the end of the day, speed really matters. I love talking to uh, restaurateurs that want to create great experiences. And a part of that great experience is accessibility to leave when you're ready. Yeah. And being able to take the orders and paying table side and things like that, I think are really, really awesome. But you know, I think like the tap to pays of the world or the scan to pays, actually that that's the thing at the table, like to be able to scan and pay yep. without waiting for anybody and you sure. don't need a point of sale. That's another one is just literally they can just use their Apple Pay or they can use you know their digital wallet and just move on. Those table turns, when you talk to a restaurateur that says they're trying to find the 10, 12 ways to get the dining room filled again. Yeah. You know, how do I get a second or even third turn is a, a night, is a right? really really big deal because you're like, okay, how do I reduce the wait time up front for them to get in? How do I not make it an expectation that when they go to a go to my rest, restaurant there's going to be a really long wait, people will say no. So if you can reduce that a little bit and get them sat, get the order when they're ready, and for them to be able to pay, those three checkpoints are the fastest accelerators to get you another another turn uh, of tables. And that is extra revenue and, and largely extra profit for your business. Yeah, thin margin businesses like that, that means a lot. Yeah. Getting a, th- a third run in the night when you're accustomed to two or two and a half, that can, that can be the difference in a determining success of a restaurant. Yeah. Well, this is another thing that I'd say small business owners really face is, you know, managing payroll. Um, there are people that are DIYers that do it. You know, uh, some will work with their CPA. Some will use a provider. So I wanted to ask you the question, when does it make sense for a small business owner to outsource payroll to a provider? And you know, what, what are sort of the pros and cons to doing that, making that move? You know, it's kind of like... Um there are levels to it. You know, if you're accustomed to doing your taxes yourself still at this point, you're, you're not actually doing your taxes by yourself. You're probably using TurboTax. And maybe you're using TurboTax with the option to speak with an accountant. And once that is, you know, maybe too complex for your accounting needs, or your accounting needs are too complex for that, then maybe you're leveraging a, a CPA and they're using their own set of tools. And it's really no different um, on the payroll side, in my opinion. There's, it's, a, it's a scaling uh, a, approach. And I mean, it can make sense for a sole proprietor, but 
you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume that there's one equation that works with everybody. But I think once you have a few employees in, and uh, you know, the experience of your your employees and the peace of mind that you need to have in terms of the the tax burden that you've got and the risk that you're undertaking as a result of that, it probably makes sense to start talking to your CPA. And this, your CPA is who I would go to. Mm-hmm. Heartland has a great solution. So I'm, I'm a proponent of, of Heartland's uh, payroll solutions, but everybody should speak with their CPA. Mm-hmm. And in all likelihood, they can refer you to a provider or they can do it themselves. But one thing I would say is, it's kind of like we talked about this earlier um, in terms of introducing technology and when it makes sense. Getting payroll set up, even for just a handful of employees, can be quite a bit of work up front. Mm-hmm. But that quite a bit of work up front is going to save you a tremendous amount of time, headache in the long run. You're going to have peace of mind that your taxes and your burden to the IRS is going to be accounted for. You're probably going to be introduced to ways and means to get some incentives and get some money back into your pocket. And ultimately, you're going to provide probably a much superior experience to your employees than cutting them a check at a different time every day, every couple of weeks, or whatever it might be, and however you're paying them. And you know that degree of professionalism, I think, for employees is something to consider and and to weigh it, uh, in that equation, if you will. Yeah, I mean, um, one, if you mess with people's money, that tends to piss people off the most. Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. You know, and mistakes, even small ones, if they happen more than once, you know, your sort of retention of that employee is going to start to be in question, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that, I think that you know, many entrepreneurs trying to decide on this is, do I pay for this service, realize that these companies shouldn't and can't mess up. And you can change companies when they do. Yeah. And you have somebody to blame it's like, hey, I'm sorry, it's this company's fault. We're, we'll get it fixed for you real quick, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Employee. I think the other thing that is another one is there's the table stakes expectation. So if I were to say to a, a small business owner, hey, you are, you know, you, you, you know, what is running payroll? They're like, well, it's just, you know, it's two things. It's checks getting cut, money or money moving, and uh, withholdings going to the right, you know, government entity, and you're doing it on my behalf, and it's like. Sort of. Yes, and. <laughs> you know? There are uh, the amount of regulations by state, municipality, things like the uh, opportunity, the Watsi Worker Opportunity Tax Credit that showed up, PPP loans. There are these things that sort of show up that you can make a big difference in the profitability of your business because Ultimately, if you have experts around you that can say, hey, you qualify for this, or you qualify for these two things, the payroll provider becomes a uh, not an expense line item. It's 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 a net neutral, if not helping you make money. Sure. You know what I mean? Because that's that's that, in my opinion, is what sets it apart. Is that if you're big enough of a of a business, let's say 30, you know, 20 to 30 employees and beyond. And you're like, I'm gonna get you know a payroll provider. It is not a lot of money to get the potential uh, for getting for getting a lot more return, a lot more bang for your buck yeah. with some of the the, yeah. the regulations. At that size, you should absolutely be using it. I mean, I think I think you should probably start considering it when you're in the the mid to low single digits, honestly. But uh, you're right. Honestly, everything's relative, but. 
payroll processing is not a particularly expensive service and payroll processors, people that provide that service, have a real incentive to make incentives for you really easy. Yeah. And getting some of those credits or how to populate and apply for a PPP loan like in the past, those are things that you know, payroll providers are staffed and have real meaningful incentive to to do and to make really easy for you. Um, so to your point, it's it's not just a simple equation as to whether or not this uh, you know this is worth it to have somebody else cut checks. It's what are the, all the other services that are tacked in on this that I might not even be aware about now that could really help my bottom line. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I, has come up a couple of times uh, in the studio recently has been, you know, things like uh, immersive realities, you know, AI things like that. And so I, I wanted to ask you this question to get uh, this ad, ad, adopting technology, you know, speaking of payroll and adopting providers, but like thinking about really advanced technology. So like over the past year, advancements in AI and machine learning, they've progressed and it's gone fast. Yep. Um, what would you say to business owners who are, let's say trepidatious to adopt those technologies or maybe even rely on that moving forward? I think it's Reasonable to be trepidatious, actually, not necessarily because there's some huge risk to your customers' data, which maybe is what is forefront for a lot of people, but there aren't clear winners yet in this space. And I would actually, if I could convey a feeling, I would try and convey a feeling of calm almost. So, I, what I mean is every software provider that you're using right now has tremendous incentive to enhance their solutions yeah. with artificial intelligence. They all do. It's not going to require you to become uh, an expert in technology to be able to leverage these tools in the future. Mm -hmm. Your point of sale provider, your payroll provider, your supply chain or logistics service provider, whatever it might be, they are all thinking critically about how to integrate these tools and to make your life better. Mm -hmm. It's not to make your life more complex. It's not going to require you to undergo a bunch of courses or trainings as to how to leverage them. They're going to find a way to abstract out the complexity of the technology to make your life the opposite, to make it easier. Yeah. And as a result, I, you know, I don't know if I would really spend much time worrying about how to stay on top of this. If you're intellectually curious about it, I would say scratch that itch, get after it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, listen to podcasts. I would certainly be asking your peers in your industry what they're doing, what they're thinking about leveraging in the future. There will be some net new winners in probably most industries that, you know, are kind of AI forward or AI centric and are having to to change less internally to adopt these type of tools. But in general, I think just about everybody that is building and maintaining technology is highly, highly incentivized uh, right now to to empower you to take advantage of this technology in a way that requires very little training or effort, right? Yeah. And as a result, I would expect you to see enhancements come quickly. And I wouldn't write that it off if it's not immediately a game changer for your business. Yeah, that's good. Right? Most people are going to be enabling these tools. Uh, I'm going to say roughly at the same time. Everybody's going to see probably roughly the same benefit that that is, and it's going to get better. And the rate, the pace of change right now is just—it's tremendous. So, 
Um, if something is not really moving the needle for you, don't write it off. Stay, stay committed to it. Put some energy towards it. And uh, let whoever you're using iterate to, uh, to find a way for it to be really valuable. But aside from just being conscientious of your customer data, I w- I, honestly, I wouldn't be too worried about it because mm-hmm. there's a tremendous amount of money incentive behind making these tools really, really, really customer friendly and user friendly. There's a really great book called Crossing the Chasm. And I think we are in this really interesting place in a product life cycle where, you know, you've got this, like there's the early, there's the innovator, and then there's this chasm that companies have to cross. And I think this is take AI, for instance. It's sort of crossing this chasm right now of getting into kind of like the early adopter, early majority, late majority, and the laggards. Sure. And there's this bell curve, right? Where do you think we're at on that bell curve? I actually think we're crossing the chasm, you know, because you think about it like what you just said is like, I don't know if I've seen a technology go this far this fast with AI. Like it was... It is remarkable. Like, think about, you know, you got Bard, you know, ChatGPT, others, right? People started using ChatGPT and it freaking worked. Yeah, right. Not a, that doesn't happen a lot. You know what I mean? Where it's a new technology and people are kind of laughing at it, scoffing at it, and then it starts to pick up momentum and things like that. But you use it and it freaking works, yeah. you know? And so I, I actually think we're crossing the chasm and crossing it really, really fast. And you have, because of, it just working, it, it has gotten some noise, it's gotten some attention, and now everybody, businesses are like, how do we use that? Or people are like, how do I use that? And it's people are replacing their search engines. Right. You know what I mean? It's a new way to search, it's a new way to get information, and it's personalized, and you can make it even more personalized and make it more applicable to what you need. So I actually think on the bell curve, we are moving up really fast, but I would probably say it's not going to have the same death cycle as maybe other technologies might have. I think it's got a longer runway than most other technologies. I would agree. And I would agree because it works. You know, a lot of those early 2000s companies that got that garnered tremendous investment didn't yet have not even they didn't they didn't just not have product market fit M- many of them didn't have a product right mm-hmm. and um, i think there's a, the difference to your point that why so much money that's coming into this is still likely to have much of it likely to have a tremendous return is because the tools are real there's there's substance to it mm-hmm. and and on that note you know i talked about how a lot of your existing software companies that you're using right now they're heavily, heavily incentivized to figuring out how to empower you and enhance their existing solutions. Maybe something to consider is looking at areas that you know you would otherwise have invested in the past, or you would have you know you would have considered in the past, but you didn't have either the the money or the the wherewithal or the talent to be able to pull that off. Um, a good example would be in the arts and graphic design, for mm-hmm, instance. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you don't have a, a Canva account to to build pamphlets or you know social media posts yeah social media posts etc and that's just something that you've been kind of grunting your way through there are solutions out there that are going to that are going to be able to offer a tremendous service at an incredibly reasonable price that are probably worth thinking about and reconsidering so uh 
yeah, I, I guess that is one kind of difference to what I said earlier, which is be like, well, why don't you think back on stuff that you would have otherwise invested in, but you didn't have the money or the time or the energy or the talent or whatever to do, and consider whether or not AI has has perhaps reduced the barriers to entry yeah. to get into those. All right, so if we were to compare this year compared to what we think might happen next year, who are the big winners uh, in AI this year in your mind? Well, OpenAI, far away, is the biggest winner. Um, they've got a handful of products. Not all of them are the 1A products in their space, but certainly for large language model interaction via text, ChatGPT is, yep. is, is the winner, I think. For sure. And there are some people that are actually in this room that may know this better than I, but I think in terms of, I don't even know what you call it, but creating art, um, you know, driving art through words mid-journey seems to be yeah. a, a big winner there. I think that uh, Google's enhancements that have come out in the last, uh, I would say, maybe six weeks are tremendous. And that's actually something that's kind of in the same vein of a lot of this. Like, if, if it's not becoming clear to everybody, Google's product is one of their primary products, increasingly so, is their browser as opposed to just search. Mm -hmm. They're trying to pull as much into the browser as they can. And you know, being able to augment the browser, the, what you're interacting with on the screen with AI tools is going to be really powerful. And I wouldn't at all be surprised if we're purchasing goods from local restaurants or local retailers right on that Google landing page when you search for so-and-so shop. And they're not necessarily getting a cut of anything. It's still going directly to that store, and that store is understanding of who you are and when you're going to pick it up, whatever the details might be. But they're getting your mind share. They're getting your time on the screen. So I think Google's probably a big, a big winner. Microsoft has a tremendous investment in open AI, and I think that investment is going to pay huge dividends. There are companies out there that you know, you can you can prompt to make music that sounds like blank, and it yeah. comes out. It's coherent and creating art. I think is really the 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 final frontier for for AI. It's like when when you can prompt something to be creative, and it comes out, and you can acknowledge that it's not just creative, but it's unique and in line with what you told it to do. It's pretty hard to wrap the human mind around how that's uh, how that's possible. I'm curious what and you think. And instantaneous, yeah. The one that I was going to say was Photoshop. So what Adobe. Adobe was able to do, just the amount of demos that I saw, a graphic designers, you know, and others just saying, "Watch this," and seeing these sort of uh, pieces of you know a really small image turn into these ridiculously cool other things, and, it, and it's almost like unprompted. It's like you just click the button at you know expand over here and it just goes. Psh. So how do you interact with it in Adobe? If it's, it, I'm assuming you can prompt it. You can prompt it, but it it is basically an enhance feature. You yeah. got your little image there and say enhance, so you can take the canvas and make it bigger and say enhance, and it goes and it enhances the photo. <laughs> and so I was gonna say I was like, man, as a marketing dude, uh, you know that that one right there is like, uh, okay, that's that's. What, what a great application of AI to take what you know a human uh, has done and to enhance it yeah right and I, those are the things that I think are are really uh, powerful and I think you know some people and I wanted to ask your opinion about this like you know there's there is you know fear around some of this right obviously you know we've got all the movies you know Terminator and beyond 
that have, you know, taken AI to, to that extreme. What would you say uh, about, you know, what is to be feared or maybe what isn't to be feared as the future of AI? Before I answer that, I forgot to hit on Copilot. I have to hit on Copilot. Dude, and, hit on Copilot. And, uh, some competition out there, you know, very similar. But you, your Adobe example brought it up. But if you're a developer, if you're a software engineer, if you're a coder, programmer, and you want to more efficiently write code, there are tools out right out there right now that will pre that will autofill code. <laughs> and on top of that, you can have them come in and you can have them assess the code that you've written to optimize it for performance or for whatever it might be. And that will only get better. It's already pretty strong. But as that happens, think about think about what all that free mindshare mm-hmm. will enable. I mean, people will be able to press fast forward on the development of products really, really significantly. We'll be able to come to market with with viable solutions really fast, and they will have that much more mindshare on that, that's been invested into them. Based on the freedom that that developer, that engineer is, has been able to garner from Copilot or another third party that's been able to uh, to, to afford them. So, anyway, it's very similar to uh, to the Adobe example that you were saying. In terms of fear, like I don't know, I'd be remiss if I felt like if I felt confident that I had an understanding as to what to fear. I think security is maybe a well, it is. It's a it's a foundation on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I think AI has some risk of disrupting that, even if it's just the security of your information online. As tools get built up out there that are better at scraping information, organizing it, and making it available to to people, bad actors or otherwise, that's that's kind of an intimidating, concerning thought or idea. You know, I think a lot of people fear that these tools will put them out of a job, and it's true in some regard. I bet, I bet these tools will eliminate the need for some jobs, but I think that they will probably create many, many more than they eliminate. And they might be different; they might require a different skill set, and there will probably be some pain and adjustment period as we mm-hmm. kind of morph into that new norm. But same thing happened with the internet. The internet. The internet get rid of some jobs? Absolutely. Did the internet create way, 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 way more jobs yeah. than it eliminated? A hundred percent. And as a result, I don't think that's a tremendous. Uh, that should be a tremendous fear in most people's minds. I'm curious. What What do you think? What do you What are you fearful about, or think people should be concerned about as it pertains to AI? I was going to say security as well. I think AI requires training. And it's kind of like garbage in, garbage out. You know. Yeah. And the other thing is, it's really not advanced everywhere and it's not sort of like a hive right now you know i mean yeah yeah could it you know get there maybe but like if you think about it, it's all these little applications of ai where you know the machine learning and all these kinds of things and and an artificial intelligence is you know think these things are 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 coming online i think that there are people who are going to take some of these technologies. I mean, even you just think about the dark web. I mean, it's a whole sort of subculture. It's a whole different internet. And the, I guarantee you, AI, you know, generated, you know, technologies or AI centric uh, technologies, there, there are going to be bad actors out there that are going to do some of those things. And the thing that I find really interesting is I would say that there are likely to be 
the opposite to be true yeah, absolutely. as well. And so there there's well. gonna be some friction and some tension to happen. And I think that's the thing that's gonna be interesting. Because if you think about it, this is the thing about Terminator, it was bots versus people. Yeah. I actually think it's gonna be bots versus bots in a lot of ways. Yeah, totally. You know? Hackers are uh, the the impetus for a tremendous amount of invention, and what, especially those that are beside the point, they will probably expose some vulnerabilities, and that will create opportunities for the good guys to build tools that you know that can protect us from that. And it probably won't take long for those things to start to get to kind of parity and to be locked together pretty well, where you can feel confident in the security and privacy of the information that you put into. Uh, I'll put online. Yeah. All right. Well, what if you were to make a bet of what is going to get the most attention next year in technology? What do you think it would be? Oh, AI. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's easy. I feel like I, <laughs> there's been thousands and thousands of startup that have started just since uh, ChatGPT, the initial version of ChatGPT, made it out into uh, the public. Probably at this point, hundreds of billions of dollars of investment um, have gone into that arena. And I would be really surprised if artificial intelligence is not the the primary um, point of innovation and investment for honestly the foreseeable future. Yeah. I do think that there's another bull case for crypto that's upcoming as you're yeah. starting to see the federal government and the uh, the regulatory agencies start to wrap their head around that technology and you know providing clear guidance to the founders and builders of companies that are working in the crypto space. I think is uh, going to spur probably another cycle of, of innovation, hopefully not a bust like the one that yeah. we just saw, but I would expect to see some real opportunity there. And I think that the, it's, it's, it's likely that the federal government will, will get involved in some form of a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, that will probably spur another round of innovation. And that's, a, that's, that's, uh, that's an arena that we're in, right? Yeah. That, that uh, could could uh, offer some opportunity, so I'm kind of excited, and I'll keep an eye on that as yeah. well. What yeah. about you? What I you was, think? I was going to say, uh, I think creative uses of AI, like in creativity, right? Like, uh, you know, we had words largely sure. this year. I think, you know, uh, visualization is probably the the thing we'll see a lot more uh, in the next 12, 18 months. Well, you know, Adam, I have to say, really great conversation talking about a look back and then what potentially lies ahead. I appreciate you taking the time and I uh, definitely want to have you back. Of course. Thanks, man. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur Studio podcast. We're going to take a short break from publication as we prepare for season three of the podcast. And in the meantime, be sure to take a look at our library of conversations with entrepreneurs and industry innovators, both here and on YouTube. And we'll see you again in 2024 for another inspiring round of conversations to help you make every day work better.